we are um, going to talk a little bit about technology, and I'd like to pose a few questions uh, to you, uh, or just to have you think about this. Imagine a world where Twitter is just simply a sound that you hear outside from the birds. Imagine a world where the cloud is this fluffy gathering of air that, in the sky that produces rain at times. We had a lot of that this week, which was nice. Imagine a world where 4G refers to your parking spot at the airport. Imagine a world where an application is simply something you fill out for a job or, or to go to college. Imagine a world where Skype is a typo. Who are these people that I'm describing? Well, it's a lost people group called us eight years ago. And the world certainly has changed in that time. And because of advances uh, in technology, um, and it's traveling at such a high rate of speed, we live in an interesting time, don't we? And with that being true, we're going to talk about that today a little bit. Not to be anti-technology, because technology is a good thing. It, advancement uh, is a good thing, and we'll talk about that. One great example of convenience that I remember uh, my dad telling me, um, I grew up here and in the 60s. My dad he was an electrical contractor his whole life, but um, in the 60s, he had the contract to do all the 7-Elevens in Arizona, if you guys remember 7-Eleven. And I remember him telling me that um, back in the early 60s, he, had, he was looking at the plans for, for one of the 7-Elevens in southwest Phoenix, and and he's sitting down with the general contractor, and, and my dad is looking at the electrical plan, and he, he says, well, you know, this is normal. We've been doing this for years for you, but what's that thing out in the parking lot? He says, you know what, I'm going to try and have um, gas pump stations at my 7-Eleven and see if it works. No one had done that in Arizona. No one had thought about, oh, you go to a convenience store and get gas while I'm there. Well, now you can't, you can't find one. You can't find a true service station for the most part. The convenience of being able to pull up and get gas and go to the convenience store, we, don't, we can't imagine life without it. And so we're not going to be anti-technology, but rather we're going to consider how can we treat with wisdom what the Lord has entrusted to us. And, and so imagine a world that when your car breaks down, you have to wait for someone, you have to hitch a ride so you can go find a payphone. Imagine a world where you'd have dinner with friends and you weren't interrupted with a cell phone. Um, you might have had to put up a little cigarette smoke, but that is us 25 years ago. Okay, that is. That, that was reality for us. And, and it's, but it's not always been that way. When you look back at human history, in fact, early on, advances happened at a very slow pace. And uh, historians point to the 200 years between 1650 and 1850 with the advancement of shipping and the printing press, where people and goods could now cross continents. And not only did I have the printed word, but you had it as well, and we could share information. And things started to speed up from there. Then the next 100 years, from 1850 to 1950, with the inventions of photography and the telephone and light bulb and the automobile, <clears throat> this really began to transform societies and cultures. And this is how culture's boundaries were defined. Anytime there is a 
significant advance in technology, it changes how society operates. And many of us have been directly affected by uh, that time period between 1950 and 2016 with the invention of the television and, and the microwave oven and the computer and the internet and so many more. So now we find ourselves living in a world that keeps feeding us new stuff at an alarming rate of speed. And we keep bringing these screens and devices into our home, not really even thinking the effect they might have on us. And the internet, with the internet, we can be connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week with people all around the world. Isn't it true that with every screen, with every tablet, with every computer that we bring into our home, it's a chance for those in our home to be isolated? Many of us remember living in a home where we had one TV. <clears throat> when I was growing up, I was my dad's remote. And I was happy. I didn't even think of asking my parents, hey, we need another TV. And of course, back then, you know, programming stopped at 9 or 10 p.m., and you didn't have stuff going 24-7. But, but yet today, most every home has at least one TV, and when you include all of the other devices, you have most likely two to three screens for every individual in the home. And each one of them is a way for people in our homes to be more isolated. And so isn't it true that we're living in a time where we've never been more connected, and yet at times it seems like we feel very, very isolated. And so we're going to explore this idea of having wisdom and how we use technology. Um, and uh, first, let's want to see what God's Word has to say about it. So if you turn with me to... Genesis 1, you might even have an app on your phone to turn to Genesis 1, which is a great thing. I was getting my tire changed yesterday, and I sat and read a, de read a devotional. That's a good thing. Now, it can be used for bad as well, but so however you want to look at Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so in this narrative of the entire chapter 1 of uh, Genesis, um, we see that God is giving out job descriptions to his creation. So earlier, <clears throat> he said, stars, go and shine. And you're going to divide the day and the night. Go shine. And he said to the oceans, be full. And he said to the moon, you're going to change the tides for me. And he said to the birds, go and fly. Spread your wings. Enjoy what I've created you for. Now, some of you taste good. You might want to be careful around some seasons, um, but go and fly. And to the fish, he said, go and swim through the oceans and the streams and the lakes. And he's handing out job descriptions. But to man, he says, you are to bear my image, 
to the rest of the world. God says, in your very DNA, you are bearing my image, and you are to display that to the rest of my creation. The sunsets are beautiful. The oceans are powerful, and the night skies are absolutely unfathomable. But none of them bear God's image as we do. None of them have been spoken to by God to say, you are bearing my image to the rest of the world. And along with being image bearers, we also have dominion over the earth. We're to fill the earth, and we're to multiply, and and we're to raise families. But all of its resources, you're to subdue them. I give them to you to enjoy and to to harvest and to benefit from. And you even get to, to name the animals. And you get to eat of the fruit of the land. And I've I've created all things and I have dominion over all things, even you, but I am putting you in charge of the things here on earth. And so Genesis 1 records God setting up this hierarchy, this way that things are to operate. In his creation, as he spoke it, he set it up to have a specific order. And in uh, Genesis 1, verse 31, at the end there, after everything was created, uh, one by one he said it was good, but only after he created Adam and Eve and he told them what their job was, it's only then that he said that it was tov meod, very good, as it was meant to be. Everything has an order to it. And man, you are to have dominion over the earth. That is why every job that you've had or will have has a sacred root to it. Whether you're a doctor, a plumber, a painter, a stay-at-home mom or dad, a nurse, a pastor, an x-ray tech, whatever it is, that is where God has placed you to exercise dominion over the earth. And he's called you there. Now, because sin has entered the world, history is full of examples, isn't it, of people who have done that really poorly. An extreme example of this is in 2008, when with the economy collapse and, and all the stuff with the savings and loans and mortgages and, and all of that. And, and so what we have there is basically some people who had been entrusted dominion over something of the earth, they did it really poorly and faithlessly, And it impacted millions of people. It impacted probably everyone in this room in some way or another. You have dominion over a part of the earth. How are you doing with that? When moving to a new community, one of the first things that we often will do there is we go try and find, you know, we're asking people, what's a good doctor? You know, good car mechanic. Really what we're asking is, we're asking, do, we know, do you know someone who has exercised dominion wisely over their area of giftedness and talent? We all want people. We want to be around people. We want to be served by people, depending on what it is that we're looking for, who are doing a good job with that. And so our job as image bearers is not 
to abstain from culture and say it's all bad and hide. No, we are to subdue it. We are to lean into it and not fear it. We're to subdue it and have dominion over it. And we're to, God is saying, go and be faithful insurance agents. Go and be a faithful stay-at-home mom or dad. Go and be a great plumber. Go and be a great ditch digger, home flipper, whatever it is that you do. Because I have, this is all for you to enjoy. Produce, advance, do all of the, use everything that I've gifted you with. Because this is all for you to subdue and have dominion over. Go bear my image. And so for Adam and Eve, it might have looked a little bit like this. They, they you know, began to grow and had a family and, and they were maybe learning how to carry water rather than going to the brook every time they needed a drink. Maybe they figured out ways to carry more water. And so there's a little bit of an advancement. Maybe they decided, to, hey, rather than running around the the garden where we need things, why don't we start planting things closer to our house? And so maybe they figured out a way to cultivate that. And, and maybe they had some kind of a rake. It probably wasn't metal like this and having a little barcode on it. I don't think they had barcodes back then. But you get what I'm saying? They, they probably figured out a way to do things a little more easily, a little more convenient. And, and so, well, this is having dominion. That's what this is. This is technology. They are growing and advancing, and this is what it means to have dominion, to exercise dominion. And so advances in technology are about exercising that dominion and managing the earth. But if at any point God's order or hierarchy gets flipped, then things begin to fall apart don't they? And so Adam and Eve, you know, they're out raking the garden one day, and the serpent comes and starts asking some questions, and, and they kind of go, hmm, gosh, God's given us dominion over the earth, and that's pretty cool, and he has dominion over us. And, but as that conversation goes on, they start going, yeah, I want to have dominion like God. I want to be like him. And so there we have the original sin. And so Adam and Eve take it to the point where they've essentially flipped the hierarchy, haven't they? they? God set things up to have an order to it. And they essentially voted to flip that hierarchy. And you know, that, that order of things is still in place today. And if at any point we allow someone or something other than God to have dominion over us, we're essentially flipping the order in which God has set things up. We are to exercise dominion over the earth, not vice versa. And a good example of this is addiction. You know, if at any point someone or something has control of us, pornography, alcohol, any other kind of substance, earning of money, we now have a Powerball that's going to go over a billion dollars, most likely. It was 900 million as of last night, and no one won it. And that tends to do things to people. <laughs> we have anything that controls us. Pride. The fact that we think we're right all the time. That can be an addiction. It also ruins relationships. Any one of those things. 
having that kind of attitude towards anything is essentially flipping the order in which God created things. You know, that's why AA, the first step with Alcoholics Anonymous, is admitting that we're powerless over alcohol. It essentially means we're admitting that something has control over us and we have flipped the order in which God has set things up. And, and the second and third steps is recognizing our need for, originally for them, recognizing our need for God. And third step is surrendering to him, essentially flipping things back to the way they were meant to be. Even AA recognizes there's something healthy about being in the order of which God had created things. Salvation is about that. Our first coming to Christ is, is recognizing, wow, I don't make a very good God. And it's, it's putting back right. It's sur surrendering to the God of the universe and submitting under his lordship. The hardest thing about coming to Christ isn't acknowledging that God is God. The hardest thing about coming to Christ is admitting that we're not. And so, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the hierarchy is flipped, and, and they decide that they're not happy with the way things are, and they want to sit in God's seat. And so when they sin, the world becomes a dangerous place, and this rake, whatever tool they had, wow, this can become a weapon, too. That, you break that, and you got a stick here. And, and then by chapter 4, we see that there's dissension, and we actually see our first murder in the scripture, and... Um, and yet, even though things begin to fall apart, God never revokes man's role to be his image bearers and to have dominion over the earth. He recognizes it's going to be messy. He recognizes it's going to be hard all the way to the end of Revelation where he puts things back as they were meant to be. But God never takes away our role as image bearers. He commits to walk along with us in the journey. And so the scriptures are full, aren't they, of people who did this pretty well and others who did it really poorly. And so we see all through the scriptures, we see judges and kings and queens and leaders exercising dominion over the earth. And so let's take a look at a king who did this uh, pretty poorly in Genesis, just a few more chapters after Genesis 1, go to chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to introduce you to a guy. Genesis 10, 8 through 10. Cush fathered Nimrod. Go ahead. Yeah. Just one of those, you just got to pause there. There's a, there's a comma there, and it's it just laugh. Oh, it's actually a semicolon. Just laugh. <clears throat> he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. And so, here we see Nimrod using his gifts and talents and power to basically take control um, of some land. And part of that is 
Shinar. And so that's part of his kingdom. That's part of his little dominion that God has entrusted him to be in control of. And then verses, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, you're probably familiar with this. If you've been in church since you were a child, you would have had a flannel graph up here talking about the Tower of Babel. Um, so verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Who's in charge of Shinar? Nimrod is. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Bitumen is basically, you know, some kind of a um, sealing agent, or something to hold uh, the bricks together. And so, um, prior to that, evidently, they used stones for building. Okay? And so, you know, stones are good. I mean, you get a lot of these you know, around the earth, and, and so, you know, stones are good, but they really are limited in terms of your ability to, to stack them and, and build anything very high, at least, because especially if you don't have any mortar yet, which, which it doesn't seem like they did, you know, this can, you know, this can then fall, and, and if, it was, if it was about stone, it probably would have been the, you know, the retaining wall of Babel, um, but it's not, um, so evidently, they figured out a way to take some kind of a compound from the earth and put it into some forms, and then to heat them up to make them hard, and so they make bricks, and so the advantage of bricks is they're all, you know, flat, and so you can start stacking bricks, and especially if you've got some mortar, you can hold these together, and putting them at different, you know, angles and stuff, they can hold each other up, but even without any mortar, um, you know, I could have some fun here, and my wife would probably say that's enough, don't put any more, but, um, so there's this technology of bricks, and, um, and so they develop this, and so let's see what they do with these bricks. In verse 4, we read, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us Make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so they build a city, and the city has a tower. And why do they build a tower? Because they want to make a name for themselves. They want to build a tower up into the heavens. Essentially what they were doing was trying to flip the hierarchy. They were trying to flip God's order of things. They wanted to have dominion over themselves. They wanted to be like God and to play his role. And so as we see in verse, the next few verses are, are God recognizing what they're doing. And then in verse 8, it says, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. And so God scatters them and the building stops. And, and so the brick was the iPhone of its day. You know, if, if, if you'd have walked into a party in Shinar with a brick, I mean, people were going to gather. The Ace hard, Hardware in Shinar, people were lined up all the way around the building days before it was going on sale because this was the height of 
technological development in Shinar. And you know what? God didn't have a problem with the brick. Great idea. I gave you that mind. What he had a problem with is what they did with it to glorify themselves. Because a brick can do a lot of good things. I mean, once again, with mortar, you can start building tall walls to fortify a city, and you can build homes, and you can provide jobs. We've got to get more people building these. Lots and lots of good things can come from making a brick. The issue isn't the brick. It's what they chose to do with it. The issue in our world is not the iPhone or the Internet or Facebook or any of those things. It's what we choose to do with it. Technology itself is not good or evil. It's neutral. We are the ones that have the brains. We're developing it. We get to choose what we're to do with it, and we're to have dominion over it and not vice versa. Nimrod is the first record that we have of someone using technology to exercise dominion over the earth in really faithless and poor ways. Nimrod is the, he's the poster child of using technology um, poorly, and that's why if you're driving down the freeway and someone comes along next to you and they're driving and texting and they almost hit you, your thought is, God, that Nimrod. Well, that is a profound theological observation that you're making um, at that moment. And the question that we have to ask ourselves in 2016, with all kinds of bricks available to us, have we been a nimrod in how we've been using them? And only each one of us can answer that for ourselves. How do you exercise, exercise dominion with the gifts and talents and resources that the Lord has put before you? Do you use them for good purposes or destructive purposes? Because what you do with this or your computer or whatever really matters to God because it shows your heart. It shows your motives. Facebook is an amazing tool. It can help organize people groups. It can help you connect with old friends and new, and that can really be fun to exchange information it's now being used to provide one of the most recent storms down in uh, southern Mexico um, where people were dying and stuff. Facebook has set up now a way that you can go on there and just let your family know you're okay. Facebook is a great resource to helping connect people and get resources. It helps loved ones connect all around the world. But it can also be very destructive. Recent statistics show that one-third of marriages that end in divorce cite Facebook as a primary reason. Because it's easy to get on Facebook and to talk to people that aren't your spouse. And if you're in a situation that's difficult and you're going through some struggles, the last thing you need to do is to be talking to someone who's not your spouse and them telling you things that the way they should be, and they're probably not because they're only telling you what they want you to hear, and it's really easy for that to erode our hearts and to hinder us from getting healthy in our most important relationships. And so I think what I've 
realized in my own life recently is here, here's what Facebook does to me. Uh, and I was reading out of Matthew um, chapter 6, verse 34. It says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I don't know about you. I struggle enough with being anxious about that which the Lord has put me in charge of. I get anxious enough with my family and my friends and my job and driving from my job to my home and then I go to Home Depot, I go to my fancy fries. I, you know, I've got my, I got my things that I do. That, I, I struggle with anxiousness enough. I think I have to be more than I should be. All of that, do you understand what I mean? Facebook means I'm now worried about your junk. Because I'm hearing about it. Not just your, you know what I mean. You're hearing about people around the world, people you don't even know, your person you were in third grade with, and they befriended you, and oh, oh great, I'm glad you have a dog named Twitter. You, you know, we have these things, and we're now being anxious about things that have nothing to do with us. And then, you know, it's a tool to exchange information, but then we start using it as a way to you know, share our opinion about everything, and we think we're going to solve these problems with Facebook, which we're not, and it just becomes this viral spew of poison, and I find myself getting into those, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to respond, and so I, hopefully I don't respond to them, but I don't need that, so sometimes I just need to take a step back and go, okay, wait, what is this for? Oh, it can be a really good tool to connect with some, some people. And so, with Facebook, it's easy to get anxious about things that we don't need to be anxious about. We can do amazing things with technology. We can exchange information faster than ever, and that really helps. It saves lives. My nephew works for a company that, they're right around the corner here, but they help connect surgeons, the best surgeons around the world, by video to help do surgeries with people who are dying and they're doing it from around the world. That's a good thing, and that's really important. We can use apps. We can, do devi- we can use devices, really, to do great things, and technology can be used for a lot of good things. And so how do we use wisdom as disciples of Jesus who desire to live pure lives and to bear his image and to have dominion over his creation? How do we use wisdom with all of these devices that seem to encourage us to have a lot of shallow relationships and not go deep with the people that are most important to us? How do we begin to set up boundaries in our lives so that we can use the time that we have to invest in the people that are most important to us? And Jesus is a great model for us. And so let's look at Luke chapter 4, verses 40 through 43. Luke 4, 40 through 43. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. And the demons also came out, many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them. And would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And at that point in Jesus' ministry, he, he wasn't just making it fully public who he was. And he had reasons for that. But um, that's what's going on there. Verse 42. 
And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. And so that is what I was, that is the purpose that I was sent for. And so Jesus knew his purpose. And he's actually on his way to Jerusalem. And you can read on and different communities that he's in. And, and uh, essentially, though, what Jesus is saying is, uh, I can't do this, that which you want me to do, which is stay here more. We got more sick people. Do more miracles. That's essentially what they're trying to pull him out of his quiet time with the Lord, if, with his father, if you will. And just continue to do what he's doing. And he says, no, you know, I can't continue to do this. Because I need to be doing that. And that for him, the that was the purpose of which he came. And so he knew what he was here for. And so Jesus was willing to say no to doing something good in order to doing what was best. Jesus understood the importance of of boundaries. And so in our conversation about technology, it's not... Just simply saying no to say no. Um, it's about beginning to put boundaries in place so that we can say yes to the best things. Sometimes uh, I need to say no to reading a text or an email so that I can be present <laughs> with my family at the dinner table or at home one evening or if I'm out to lunch with someone or, or whatever it is. We need to be have boundaries and Sometimes that just means turning it off so we don't even hear it. And because I've submitted my life to Christ and I cherish that relationship most, I make the choice to give the Lord the best part of my day without interruption. We get to make those choices. Jesus had boundaries, and he was very intentional about how he spent his time and who he spent it with. We have record in the Gospels of, of Jesus being with the multitudes. Okay? He had well over 5,000 Facebook friends. The feeding of the 5,000 was more like 11 or 12,000 people. And so he had the, the great list of Facebook friends. But that's not who he spent most of his time with. We read in Luke 10 where he sends out the 72. And so you you get various pieces of this through the Gospels that that Jesus spent time preparing and training these 72 who went out two by two to share the Gospel because his ministry was expanding. And so the 72 got something, got time with Jesus that the multitudes didn't. And then, of course, we have the 12. The 12 got a lot of time with Jesus. those Those were his good buddies. Those were... You know, the ones he spent uh, most of his time with. But then in Luke 9, we read about Peter, James, and John. And they were with him towards the end in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we, we see many times throughout Scripture where, where Jesus got away with Peter, James, and John. And then finally, we also see where Jesus completely disconnected from all of them. And he got time alone with his Lord. Jesus understood the importance of boundaries. Technology has blurred the lines of what the boundaries are, haven't it? 
it's blurred the lines between work and home because we can now take home to work and we could take work home. Now, there's parts of that that's convenient and is helpful, and there is no doubt about that. But we certainly need to treat with wisdom how we do that and being able to turn one off and the other on depending on uh, where we're at. It's blurred the lines between true friends, hasn't it? So we can have a thousand friends on Facebook and no one to help us move this Saturday. Something wrong with that. We can be chatting with you know, five friends out there somewhere and not be engaged with the two people that are in the room with us. It's blurred the lines between true intimacy in relationships and fantasy, hasn't it? And that's all available to us 24-7. And so as disciples of Christ, when these devices are everywhere, we need to be intentional about setting up boundaries to ensure that we are bearing God's image and that we are demonstrating, that we're exercising dominion over them as God intended. And so we want to help you with that. And so we, you know, Home Point Center, uh, lots of resources for whatever season of life you're in, but we're introducing a new campaign today, and it's called Connected 3D. And so it's one of these. It's one of these. We want to give you a resource. Some people have used their minds to uh, put together some materials that it's just another brick. But we want to help you. We want to give you some resources to help you have some good boundaries and habits in your home. Whether you live alone or you have a big family, this is something you can use with friends at the workplace. And so I want to show you a few of these resources. So first, there are three core components, kind of the main purpose um, for this. And the first one is, this is to help you disconnect to connect. Choose specific times and locations to consistently disconnect from devices in order to connect with the Lord, your family, and friends. And so, I don't know about you, but just sometimes it's easy it's easier for me to bring it up in my home to say, hey, look what someone else put together. Here's some really cool things. So there is, in here, there's a little contract to read through as a family, and it, it's really, really, really helpful. And so you read through it as a family, and if you want to commit to doing it, then you check the box and you sign it. Okay? Something really simple. Uh, Tech-free zone. Just put it on the dinner table and have a cute little basket. Yep, come to dinner. Put your phone in the basket. Love to have you. Okay? Okay. I, okay, I'm gonna, I'll show that in a second. That's going to be funny. Okay, uh, here is a, um, what do you call these things? An air freshener hanging from your mirror in your car. Your car should be a tech-free zone anyways. Okay? So here's a little air freshener, cute little thing. Okay? And lots of what we call recipe cards. Hopefully that's a term you guys recognize from our Home Point Center. Lots of little things. Here's ways to stay connected. Tech tips for parents. Connection for young children. So lots of resources to help you. We're not going to just throw you into this and, and our, your kids just hate you um, because you're not going to let them have their phones anymore. That is not the purpose. The second is deepen in internal values. Model and coach your family towards God-honoring technology habits. And so once again, we've got a bunch of recipe cards. Um, we uh, want to help you 
Um, just be intentional about uh, even sharing the things that you're learning as you spend time alone with the Lord at your dinner table the next day and you put up the tech-free zone. Maybe part of the conversation at the meal is, yesterday when I disconnected to connect with the Lord, here's what I read and share it with your family. Okay, I know that sounds simple, but how many of you struggle to do that? Okay, I do. So find ways to lead and model for your families. And then the third one is develop external boundaries. Find and set safe and accountability, uh, an accountability strategy for yourself and those in your home. And so part of this is a free 30-day membership to Covenant Eyes. Great tool. It's where you have accountability partners. And a great way to use this and model when my boys were in high school uh, and as we were having discussions about things that they were struggling looking at. So uh, I decided, you know what? I I'm going to pay for this. And how can I ask my boys to do it if I'm not going to do it? And so my boys were on my little accountability thing. And I was on theirs. And my friend John and Pastor Larry was on theirs and mine. And, and so you're able to set up like five or six accountability people. So once again, just want to provide tools for you. Another great one, an accountability card uh, when I text, tweet, or post, and it's got five things, you know, am I seeking approval or attention? If you are, don't send the text. You know, just different things to think through before posting, just to try and have some wisdom. And so we just want to provide for you some ways to be practical and to move towards health in this. And we want to make it fun. So for today, only one per household. Okay, we handed out a lot of them for service. Uh, one per household. We'll have more next week at the Home Point Center. But we want to make it fun. So here's the deal. Throughout the week, take pictures of you, whatever situation you're in, and or your family doing this in some way. So take a picture of your family with this on the table and no devices and, you know, having a meal together and send them through Facebook or whatever, whatever social media, text it to us, um, email the picture, and we've got some dinner certificates. And so um, next week, we're going to find the best one, and we're going to you know, give a prize to the family. We just want to make it more likely. We want to make it more fun. Well, I was laughing at this. It's really funny if someone, maybe go out to lunch with some, whatever, with your work or whatever, and you're at a restaurant. I'd love to see the, one of these at a restaurant. Um, and yeah, that just, that would be funny. Um, Funny for me, at least. But So we want to continue to help and provide ways. And so right now I'm going to pray, and we're going to see a little video in a second, but, um, and I'll come up just to close our time. But let me pray for us. Lord, thank you um, just for the way you uh, love us, Lord, that you have gifted each one of us. And Father, we want to take seriously this idea of exercising dominion over the earth and we want to be wise with the resources that you've given us and and we don't want to uh, be to one extreme of it's all evil and not participating in any of it we don't want to be on the other extreme of thinking that's all good but lord you've given us give us wisdom lord how to to treat it as you created it and, and lord i pray that we would go from here people who once again love you more dearly